it says in the gospel that we read today, the gospel of St. Luke, and his mother kept all these words in her heart. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Since the incarnation, when God became man, Catholicism is the very foundation of the, of the family. Now, it might sound strange, and you might even think it totally unnecessary to even mention, but the birth of our Savior is very widely underestimated. When God became man, he did more than just die on a cross to redeem sinful man. By his incarnation, the God-man, as he is called rightly, revealed such truths of faith and morality as had never been known before since the beginning of the world. And these teachings would be meant for all men, for all time, to the end of time. The teachings could not be and cannot be changed by any institution, by any man. They do not change with time either. But our society, especially here in America, which was founded by and whose constitution was written by deists, not Christians, the deist, deism is a sort of religious philosophy that believes that while God did create the world and created man, he then like a bad father or a stepfather, once they're made, he then has nothing more to do with them. He leaves them to the, their own devices. And so America was the first country to have its constitutions based on a, on a society that didn't have a particular church. It was a separation of church and state. But our society here in America has put Christ into a sort of box, a Christmas box, if you will, a box that can only come out maybe once, perhaps twice a year if you want at Easter too, but which is, has been more and more forgotten about and ignored. Now, it was not coincidental but divinely ordered from all eternity that when God became man, he became a member of a family. It was divinely ordained that the incarnate God made monogamy binding on all his married followers, one man and one woman, faithful to each other, in marital chastity until death. Well, this is all pretty well known to you, the faithful Catholics, but not only is it forgotten about, it is totally ignored in modern society. But we go forward. It was also divinely ordained that Christ should have instituted the vocation of celibacy, that is, the priesthood and religious life, 
And this was to show his married followers the power of divine grace in controlling the desires of our rebellious flesh. It was furthermore divinely ordered that all of his followers would master and conquer any and all disordered thoughts and desires to the contrary. So, so far from taking back that Old Testament command to increase and multiply, our Savior said to his disciples, you remember it from the Gospels, suffer the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. But our society, which is so anti-Christ, has done all it can to destroy the family of which God has placed in the world. I need not go into this too much because you already know a lot about this, but in a nutshell, society has once more taken Christ and put him in a box along with all of his teachings and has brought out of the closet his own God of man and of selfish man. I was thinking about it, and I know many will want to argue with me about it, but if you really sincerely examine your conscience on this, I think you'll end up having to agree that the reason why many of our young people do not get married at a young age, or even at all, for that matter, can be reduced to the fact that they have been raised in a society in which they are taught to indulge selfishness, either in selfish and forbidden pleasures, or in merely being selfish in as much as they do not want the heavy responsibility of a family. And sadly, this mentality, this trend, has entered even into the best of Catholic homes. Pope Leo XIII, who reigned in a time when there was a great fight between capitalism and socialism, and we know the dangers of socialism for the family, so we'll skip to capitalism. Leo XIII also, he feared, you know, that capitalist employers might neglect the needs of their workers' souls and that they might, by overworking men, facilitate the father's neglect of the home and of the family. Materialism, too, enters into this. It harms the family by taking the mother out of the house. After all, you've got to have your two fancy cars and a big house and all of these nice little animals. But this leads to the temptation of contraception and of other such sins. And the result of all of this is that then the children are neglected and are no longer educated by the family by the parents, 
as they are meant to be, but by the Almighty State. And so it was in order to counteract all of these different attacks on the Catholic family that the Feast of the Holy Family was instituted. It was meant, actually, to give us an opportunity to reevaluate our priorities and to reemphasize the importance of the family unit. Pope Leo XIII said, the Holy Family was destined to be a pattern to all others. He says, to all fathers of families, Joseph is truly the best model of paternal vigilance and care. In the Most Holy Virgin, Mother of God, mothers may find an excellent example of love, of modesty, of resignation of spirit, and the perfecting of faith. And in Jesus, who was subject to his parents, the children of the family have a divine pattern of obedience, which they can admire, reverence, and imitate. But let's turn from Pope Leo XIII to St. Paul. You know, you, I'm tempted to call St. Paul the apostle of the family. After all, he wrote the epistle that we use nowadays in the nuptial mass that kind of sets the standards for a good Catholic home. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. That means even to the point of sacrifice, the sacrifice of your energy and of your time and yes, even of your life itself to take care of your family, both spiritually and temporally. And then he turns to the mothers and he says, wives, be subject to your husbands, even as the church is to Christ, obedient in all things. But St. Paul, his epistle to the Colossians is used on this feast of the Holy Family. And he lists for us all of the virtues which must reign in the home if there is to be peace, a true peace, that is. And as one can see, if you re read the epistle later, there is no room for selfishness on that list. He says, put ye on the bowels of mercy. Always showing mercy to your siblings and your parents and your children. Benignity, kindness that is, and humility and modesty, patience, all of those little virtues that really are so very important to keep peace in the home. He says, bear with one another, forgiving one another, if any have a complaint against another. One saint wrote on this epistle of St. Paul and mentioned how interesting that word complaint is. He said that when St. Paul used that word complaint, that word implies that it is about something small, some petty argument, some little thing that gets on your nerves. 
He says, if anyone have a complaint, well then, he says, bear with one another. Just let it go. It's not worth it. That's what St. Paul says. But then he goes on to say that, but if it be something bigger, then we are to forgive. To forgive even as Christ forgave us, he says. Even though it means that you were unjustly treated and that this same injustice will be done to you again by that very same person later on, and you know it, forgive one another. That is for the peace of the family. But then he goes on to say, most importantly, above all these things, have charity, which is the bond of perfection. One saint, again commenting on St. Paul, says, it is possible to forgive, yet not to love. It is possible for one to be kind and meek and humble and patient, all of those things that St. Paul mentioned, but without loving. So St. Paul is telling us that all these other virtues of the domestic home, domestic virtues, they all fall apart unless they be bound by charity. Charity in the home is what binds all of these virtues together. You might make an analogy. If you build a house without support beams, well then all those other parts just come crumbling down. And another person uses the analogy of a body. Even though the bones of the body be large, if there are no ligaments to bind everything else together, the bones are useless and the body falls apart. So without charity in the home, everything falls to pieces. And St. Paul goes on to say, let the word of Christ dwell in you abundantly, and then tells us to admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual canticles. Allow me to say something. Maybe it'll be taken by some as being said rather pointedly, but it's only honestly through charity. I am your bishop and in charge of your souls. So I offer this warning that prayer, both prayer and parenting have been replaced by social media and modern technology. How has parenting re been replaced by these things? Well, when you'd rather do something else, wash the dishes, go outside, or just relax, what is the first thing that you are tempted to do? To take out your phone and give it to your child and tell him to play a game or watch a movie. Those things can never replace the good that a parent can do. And as one man said, the dishes and a clean house, that is not the primary part of your vocation if you are married. Your primary vocation, duty in that vocation, is to care for the child. And prayer well, we all know how many times has it happened 
But at the end of the day, you realize, oh, I've not said my rosary or my, my night prayers. And in the mornings, you have to hop up and just get to the car without your morning prayers. And why? Well, if you examine your conscience, nine times out of ten, you'll find that it's because of all that time on social media. Those minutes add to hours when you could have been praying. And I'll tell you a secret. Prayer is the answer to everything, especially in family life. But we have replaced those spiritual hymns and canticles with, as one author put it, the songs and dances of Satan, those shows that you allow your children to watch. They're filled with innuendo. They are filled with hidden agendas that should not be shown to children. Rather, Instead of going to these shows and social media, we ought to turn back to the Word of God and the singing of spiritual hymns and canticles, that is, our prayer life in the family. Remember this. The purpose of the family is not to enjoy in this life nor to make money, nor to exist for some other larger institution. Life in a family has been, from all eternity, had this as its goal, that each member of the family should push the others heavenward, so that once this life is done, you may all once again meet as a family in heaven. That's what it's all about. So today, I ask you two things. The first is to consecrate your family to the Holy Family. And second, as a family today, sit down and read the epistle of this Mass, using it as a true examination of conscience. If there are problems in your home, if your family is falling apart, perhaps it's because you've let the spirit of the world creep in and have forgotten that the way to go can be found in the epistles of St. Paul, that glorious apostle of family life. May God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.